Welcome to the Coffee House Junkie Audio Podcast. I am your host, Matt Mulder. The coffee den is now open. Thank you once again for joining me at the Coffee Den. And a big welcome to those new listeners to the show. Make yourself comfortable. Um, with uh, all the visitors from the land of SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Apple iTunes, uh, this Coffee Den is getting quite, quite crowded. Hope you enjoy this episode. One new visitor to the Coffee Den told me that it sounds like something you might hear on NPR. Wow, what a nice compliment. Thanks, Justin. Uh, way to set the bar really high. If, um, if you'd like to make a comment or share your thoughts about the show, the easiest way to do that is to visit the website, coffeehousejunkie.net. And um, who knows, I might even read uh, one of your comments on an upcoming episode. So here's what's coming up. First, how does an artist translate visions and dreams into pigment on canvas? Second, Poetry readings and acoustic singer-songwriter sets are common at bookstores and cafes. So let's take a glimpse behind the scenes of one of those events. Next, a visit to a music hall and a conversation about liberation and home. It is early February when I visited Eva Scruggs at her River Arts District studio. The recent winter storms had swelled the French Broad River above normal levels, and I watched the ominous river on the cloudy afternoon as I drove to meet her. Eva Scruggs welcomed me into her studio, and we exchanged pleasantries. She offered me beer, tea, or chai. Chai would be nice, I said and I retrieved some recording equipment from my canvas messenger bag. She prepared the cup of chai and sweetened it with honey and added soy milk. She offered me the warm drink, then sat down in her white floor chair and sipped her beer from an old mason jar. I pressed the red record button and began. Tell me a little about yourself. I guess, she said, I started oil painting at the age of six. There followed a brief discussion about art school. Eva told me that she had majored in art at the College of Charleston and later received a master's in art education in Tennessee. After that, she took some time off. I asked her if she thought it was important as an artist to unplug from art making. Yeah, well, I had to do it for financial reasons, she said. So it isn't that I ever really wanted to just focus on teaching art. It's that I had to teach art to make money to feed my habit, which is doing art. It seems that most artists that I know work a day job to fuel their creative passions. Maybe it's not possible to be a full-time artist. Maybe juggling between art making and waiting tables is necessary for artists. If all I had to do was be here in the studio and paint she told me. I would probably go crazy. I would probably get a little too self-absorbed. You know how you can really drift into your own world? I need that world, and at the same time, it helps to keep balance. So I teach, and I do organic farming during the summertime. And I'm a mom. She continues. 
I really like teaching. I teach at AB Tech, and I really, really feed off the energy, the new energy of uh, the students. You know, fresh ideas. There's something about farming, too. I have to have at least a certain amount of it. So I wouldn't want to paint full-time. I think I might go crazy. Our conversation weaved into an unsuspected path of artists being the true scientists and modern prophets. But I'll save that for another time. I wanted to know what direction she thought art education is heading. She suggested that there are two branches of thought. One is more academic, more exclusive amongst artists. Lots of MFA programs are focusing on what's relevant to this century or even this half of century. But to Eva, she said, it seems kind of elitist. It seems like that's going to be a view of art that only a certain amount of people can understand. It's art for artists. She continues, The other, which is sort of my path, is art to the people. Part of the reason I am a figurative painter is because I know that people relate and understand figurative painting. Common average people understand basic symbolism. Part of my thing is being able to communicate with people, everyday people, not just artists who are going to understand the breakdown of elements and principles. So I paint, paintings that have messages. I don't paint them for someone to buy. I paint them to express this. And she gestures at a painting at the paintings around her. I'd like people to see and understand and relate. That's what all those biblical paintings are kind of about. Let's rethink this story. You know, try turning it around in a different point of view and modernize it to some extent. At the mention of the biblical series, Eva appeared more relaxed, more confident, as if she had arrived in her sanctuary. She took a drink from her mason jar, and it appeared she was ready to begin to talk about the biblical series. Well, she paused and looked at her hands, which were covered in dark fingerless gloves. It seems like when I started with the biblical theme, I was working on a different series. I was working on the states of human emotion trying to capture different emotions through expression. Anyway, so the last one I did of the series was a self-portrait with my child. After I painted it, I recognized it was a Madonna, and I painted in the background a scene of the WTO protests in Seattle. That's where it all got started. It's called the Jaded Madonna. The Madonna is holding this child, and she's obviously concerned, and the child is open, wide open, but... Behind the mother, the police, decked out in riot gear, smog in the background from the gas they they were releasing. So it's kind of a statement. And then it just sort of clicked in my mind, said Eva Scruggs, as she motioned with her hands. She seemed focused on some point on the floor. This is something a lot of people will relate to. It's a biblical theme. It's a classical theme. People look at it because of that. And then if you can get them in that far, then throw everything else in there that talks about modern culture. You know, it's just the juxtaposition that makes a strange commentary. So I feel I could run wild with that theme. I sipped the chai, then asked her to tell me about her recent painting series. I've been working on a dream series just because I've had these reoccurring dreams throughout my life. 
I'm not exactly sure where they come from, but I figured that's a way to address them and maybe make them go away. It's not that they're really bad dreams, she continued. I usually have these water dreams where I'm swimming. I can see the top of the water and I know I'm almost out of air, so I just keep swimming and swimming, but I can never quite make it to the top and I start somehow recirculating my air and breathing in the water and it feels really good. Anyway, that's what that one is about, she said, and she pointed to a painting over her right shoulder. And that one, she pointed to another painting across the studio resting on an easel. An image I've had in my head for a long time. She spent more time discussing ideas, life, and art. But I knew she wanted to do some painting that afternoon, so I thanked her for the chai complimenting her on the way she prepared it. I packed my recording equipment and left Eva Scruggs in her art studio with the visions in her head that desired to be translated into pigment on canvas. It's a rare Friday night when I can find a parking spot within a block of Malaprop's bookstore and cafe. But tonight, there was a parking spot available in front of that store. The drum circle occupying Pritchard Park could be heard two blocks away as I entered the store to verify the showtime. Later, the drumming souls would triple in size and volume and invite the fire dancers to contribute to the urban tribe. The sun had not set yet, and the autumn twilight air was cool and comfortable. I waited outside for Philip, a friend and fellow performer, who would be supplying the sound equipment for tonight's event. I hadn't eaten since lunch, and the Malaprops Cafe was closed because an author was reading excerpts from his book. Twenty minutes later, the shadows from the buildings opposite the bookstore engulfed the street, and cars began to turn their headlamps on. I was a little frazzled because I had been asked to emcee the event, which makes me a bit nervous. Focusing on reading, performing, poetry is one thing, but adding the responsibility of emceeing a show is an added dimension. A common misconception is that an emcee just announces who's up next in an event set list. But there's more to it than that. An emcee helps coordinate artists with the venue management about restroom facilities, store policies concerning discount to the performing artists at the cafe or bookstore, And, of course, there's technical sound equipment needs, time slots, and in general making the artist feel at home in a foreign place. So I had a lot on my mind this evening. Shortly before 8 p.m., I found myself placing the mic stand in the cafe and discussing time slots with the artist Vanessa Boyd, a mild-mannered musician with a hint of Texas in her laconic communication. After the author and his fans dispersed, Philip and I began setting up the speakers and microphones Vanessa was off to the side, tuning her guitar as I casually sought information from her, which I planned to use to introduce her later. She had traveled from Tennessee to perform and had brought her friend Steve. He was equally silent, like a silent guardian. The setup of sound equipment took maybe ten minutes. To my surprise, Vanessa finished her preparations, plugged in, slouched into the cafe chair before the microphone, and played a few chords, announcing herself, relieving me of the burden of introductions. For the first time that evening, I was able to grab a cup of organic coffee, find a stool at the coffee bar, and prepare myself for the reading. I'd almost forgot that two friends had joined me 
to perform alongside my poetry performance. A prose piece was recently added to the late night writing portion of my performance. I quickly fished out the performance script and handed it to Julie, who would be reading one poem and singing two others. Philip would play the performance soundtrack on acoustic guitar, and I had to give him instructions on when to start the musical soundscape. Wearing an earth tone wardrobe and playing Americana folk style music, Vanessa Boyd provided me almost 20 minutes of uninterrupted meditation with her rich, strong vocals. Wavy chestnut hair pulled back into a ponytail. She sat on the chair, hunched over, her red acoustic guitar, hazel green eyes, searching the modest assembly as she sang songs from her many travels. The show organizer showed up about halfway through her set. He had just come off of a 14-hour bus trip from Baltimore and had not been expected to be present that evening. We chatted a bit about his trip and a few other topics until 9 p.m. when Vanessa concluded her set. Double-checking my notes and poetry folder, I approached the stage. I placed the music stand near the microphone and began my introduction, including a thank you to Vanessa, uh, Malaprops at Bookstore and News, and the Traveling Bonfires, who were the organizers of the event. The mic stand was competing with the music stand, and I held the mic as I read a Billy Collins poem to get things started. I continued to hold the mic as I read through my solo set, including a poem by Keith Flynn, a collection of poems from my forthcoming project, a pseudo-political piece with apologies to Uncle Walt, and a prose piece by another writer, which acted as a transition to the group's performance. The group piece featured Julie singing three selections, including an original work by herself and reading one of my poems, and Philip playing his haunting theme as I read through a half-dozen poems from the book Late Night Writing. It continues to amaze me how supportive they are of my work. I often look at the words I have written and wonder if anyone is ever touched by these poems. Sometimes I observe a person moved to tears at the words I've written and wonder why those lyrics, why those lines, those verses do not move me the same way. As I meditate upon these things in the night's events, I am back home in an old-growth forest guarded by red cardinals and black salamanders. I am eating a light snack, drinking chai tea latte, and enjoying the incense of sage and smoke, wondering what lines and what poems these hands will transcribe later. cold November night when I entered the Grey Eagle, as Deborah Crooks performed her song for the Traveling Bonfire's benefit concert. After taking some photos of her for the newspaper, I found a corner spot opposite the bar where I could see half the stage. I opened my notebook and listened to Deborah finish one of her original songs. She introduced her last song by celebrating that she is a lapsed Catholic Hindu Buddhist. Her confession received modest applause from a growing crowd, Deborah closed her set with a prayer for the world. One of the lines from her last song caught my attention. It goes like this, Walked alone with all my doubt. I thought about how heavy doubt can be. The weight of not knowing, or not wanting to know, or questioning what you already know. 
Deborah Crooks finished her prayer for the world, and the next act began setting up their musical equipment. More people joined the small gathering at the music hall and tavern as as others bought drinks at the bar. Over the house speakers, a bluegrass number played the lyrics, Bear me away on your snow-white wings to my immortal home. I noticed Deborah at the bar. She wore a dark brown coat which matched her dark wavy hair and deep brown eyes. She waited for a bit before the bar staff warmed her mug of hot coffee. Slowly she walked back to the green room off stage right, retrieved her guitar, and again, slowly, maybe even meditatively, walked to the back of the music hall and found a seat. I invited Deborah back to my table and asked her to tell me more about the last song she sang. It was quite a history, she told me. It includes the death of her father, a World War II vet, and witnessing the World Trade Center's collapse. After exploring her roots, Deborah discovered a parallel path between her father's liberation efforts during World War II and her own personal liberation through yoga. Writing and singing is where I find my direction, she told me as she discussed finding faith through the conflicting messages of being in New York City for a yoga event and witnessing the tragedy of 9-11. Like many fathers and daughters, there were struggles between her and her father, which she sought to reconcile before his death. Without going into personal details, she summarized, the same things that get between people get between countries. The next musical act had assembled on stage and began belting out their first song. We realized that our discussion about liberation would have to be continued later. But she quickly concluded by saying, we're all looking for the same thing, a haven, a home. Hope you enjoyed your time at the Coffee Den. This episode is produced by your host and coffee house junkie, me, Matt Mulder. Special thanks to Ann Malin for permission to use her song Darling for the music between each segment. Ann Malin is a folk musician from Boston, Massachusetts. Her albums Bog Songs, AM, and Vessel are available on Apple iTunes and Spotify. New releases and a special edition of the album Bog Songs with art by Project Catherine is available at her Bandcamp page, which is annmalin.bandcamp.com. For more details and web links, visit coffeehousejunkie.net. Take a listen to Ann Malin's Darling. See you next time at the Coffee Den. I wish the sun could solidify like a body. Come to the earth and tell you this. Darling, the world is strange and you know it. Smoke another cigarette in the woods. Darling, the world is strange and you know it. Strange because it hides good things from you when you need them. Darling, there's something better than all of this. The wind says your name in agreement. The wind says your name in agreement. Someone has dropped their glass of coffee. A quick oh shit, and they dropped their glass. They quickly learned that.
where good things lie.